Greetings, Veritas friends. This week, I'm airing a classic interview with the late U.S. Congressman James Traffickett, recorded 10 years ago in 2012. I recently re-listened to it and could not believe how accurate he was. You be the judge. The information he shared certainly vindicates him in the court of public opinion. No wonder he suffered the consequences throughout his entire career. The interview is almost three hours long, and I guarantee you will be on the edge of your seat the entire time, even if you have listened to it before. It took a lot of time and effort to get the interview done, but I'm glad I was able to capture as much information as I did. What you're about to hear probably would not survive in any other platform. Jim Traffickett was injured in an accident at his farm on September 23, 2014. A tractor he was driving into a pole barn flipped over and trapped him underneath. He died three days later. The cause of death was attributed to positional asphyxiation due to the weight of the tractor on top of him. This would probably be one of the most censored interviews I have ever conducted. Jim Traffickett leaves an incredible legacy with this material. Listen to the entire episode and let me know what you think. Subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to the full episode. But only if you can't handle the truth. If you can't, skip over this interview. Was Jim Traffickett right? Let me know what you think. Oh, and as a bonus, I've included a never-before-aired short conversation with the late Jim Mars from 2014. You'll find it at the end of part two of this program. You'll hear it for the first time and exclusively here on Veritas. I'll be back with you with a new episode next week. Enjoy. The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight's special guest is quarterback, congressman, convict, and political prisoner James A. Traffigant Jr., the victim of a wrongful conviction because of his frank, straightforward politics. Traffigant was railroaded out of Congress in 2002 because he was not willing to go along to get along, in contrast to hundreds of other worthless members of Congress who have betrayed their oath of office. Traffigant was made an example to anyone else in Congress who dares to rise up against the almighty criminal gang who have hijacked the United States' highest office. It was only 10 days before U.S. President John F. Kennedy's assassination that he publicly made the following shocking statement. Quote, The high office of the president has been used to foment a plot to destroy the Americans' freedom. And before I leave office, I must inform the citizens of this plight, unquote. We have every right to demand the truth from our government because everything they do, they do in our name and with our money. It's not the unanswered questions that should worry us as much as the unquestioned answers. The media is filled with lying, lying propaganda. Congress is filled with lying criminals. The government is spending our money in our name, and we have a right to know where it's going. This is our First Amendment right to peaceably protest against the government. This is not anarchy. It is our legal right as citizens of the United States. 
What you're about to witness is not the traditional Veritas interview. We're stepping into forbidden territory, not only for the mainstream media, but even to alternative media. No matter the topic, Veritas has one simple goal, the uncensored truth. And when I mean uncensored, I really mean it, and you will see why. Whether you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, Apathetic, Political or Apolitical, you know politicians, left or right, are taking us closer to the precipice. Why did I name tonight's program America, Land of the Scared, Home of the Slave? America with a K, because our situation reminds me of the former Soviet Union. One day, we turned on the TV and the Soviet Union had imploded. No bombs dropped, no war, no death. It ceased to exist as we knew it. Our current trend is taking us there. Land of the scared, because we are exchanging our rights for security, and the manufactured chaos and terrorism keeps the security industry alive while keeping most Americans scared of the next boogeyman. And home of the slave, because slavery was never abolished, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, frontman for the Rothschilds, banksters, and the Federal Reserve System, signed a law putting the U.S. into bankruptcy in 1933 and gave all property and future possessions and property of all the citizens and future citizens to the Rothschild banksters, making us all serves who own nothing. From the words of former Congressman James Traficant, prior to 1913, most Americans own clear, a lodial title to property, free and clear of any liens or mortgages. Although the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 hypothecated all property within the Federal United States to the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve, in which the trustees or stockholders held legal title. The U.S. citizen, tenant, franchisee was registered as a beneficiary of the trust via his or her birth certificate. In 1933, the federal United States hypothecated all of the present and future properties, assets, and labor of their subjects, the 14th Amendment, U.S. citizen, to the Federal Reserve System. In return, the Federal Reserve System agreed to extend the Federal United States Corporation all the credit, money substitute it needed, like any other debtor, the federal United States government had to assign collateral and security to their creditors as a condition of the loan. Since the federal United States didn't have any assets, they assigned the private property of their economic slaves, the United States citizens, as collateral against the unpayable federal debt. They also pledged the unincorporated federal territories, national park forests, birth certificates, and nonprofit organizations as collateral against the federal debt. The federal United States is bankrupt. Our children will inherit this unpayable debt and the tyranny to enforce paying it. America has become completely bankrupt in world leadership, financial credit, and its reputation for courage, vision, and human rights. This is an undeclared economic war, bankruptcy, an economic slavery of the most corrupt order. Wake up, America. Take back your country. If you know law enforcement and you got a target, you want a confession, 
And when you can't get that confession, you want an admission. And I am telling you this right now. They have more tapes on me than NBC. I did nothing wrong. That's why you go ahead and expel me. And I believe this judge is so afraid of what's resonating throughout America, who believe that they should not have to fear their government, and the Congress is their last hope to take it back. And I'm saying this, you speaker, take it back. No American should fear their government, and this guy doesn't. And I'm ready to go. You expel me. It'll make it easier for me to really jack me good. And they're not going to frighten me. I'm ready to go to jail. I'll go to jail before I admit to a crime I didn't commit. And there was never any intent to commit a crime. And when they start bringing letters that you send to cabinet members trying to help your people, folks, there was a dangerous precedent set in U.S. versus trafficking. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, Rebounders, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. James Anthony Traficant Jr. was a prominent and controversial Ohio politician in the late 20th century. Traficant was born on May 8, 1941, in Youngstown, Ohio. He graduated from the University of Pittsburgh in 1963, and he also earned a master's degree from the University of Pittsburgh and Youngstown State University. In 1984, Traficant won a seat in the United States House of Representatives, representing the 17th Ohio District. He won re-election in eight subsequent elections, serving in the House of Representatives from 1985 to 2002. As a representative, Traficant became known for his support of working-class issues. Traficant routinely crossed party lines, voting with the Republican Party to the dismay of the Democratic Party, always voting for what he deemed best for the country. In 2002, a court convicted Traficant of a number of charges and sentenced him to eight years in prison. He was released on September 2, 2009. Traficant maintains that he was framed and persecuted by the federal government for telling the truth. Millions of dollars and over 250 federal agents were used in the investigation and prosecution of Trafficant. You can purchase James Trafficant's book entitled America's Last Minute Man by visiting his website, americaslastminuteman.com, which we also have linked on our website. And directly from Youngstown, Ohio, I would like to introduce James Trafficant. Mr. Trafficant, hello, how are you? Welcome. Fine, Mel, how are you today? Great, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It's not that frequent that we get to interview a former congressman. And right from the beginning, I want to ask with the question that most people want to ask. You believe you were framed 
and you did not admit to anything that you were accused of, why do you believe you were actually accused in the first place? Well, in 1983, I, I was sheriff of Mahoney County, and I uncovered the fact that organized crime elements in this area owned and controlled the FBI office. And when I ran for sheriff, I had all intentions to arrest everybody. And the next thing you know, I got to end up being indicted and put on trial, and I represented myself. And I'm the only American in the history of our country to defeat the Justice Department in a RICO trial pro se uh, without being an attorney and winning in a full jury verdict. So I had a bullseye put on my back right from back then. But I think that, that probably what happened as a member of Congress, people had confidence in me and they contacted me on very important matters ranging from the Pan Am 103 incident all the way to to many, many issues. But I'm the congressman that brought back John Demenyuk from Israel and proved that he was not Ivan the Terrible. Now keep in mind that John Demenyuk was tried and convicted and sentenced to be executed in Israel. He was on death row. When the family came to me, because they had gone to everybody and no one would talk to them. Finally, I, I met with them because I felt that congressmen should have met with them or their senators. And they were from Ohio, and they didn't want to come to me because they knew the government didn't like me. Mm -hmm. but the bottom line was I took that investigation, and before long, with the help of many whistleblowers, I got the evidence to prove that he was not Ivan. Now, the power of the Israelis in our country is so strong that Congress would not accept any evidence. They did not want to touch it. The case was too sensitive. The Sixth Circuit Court in Cincinnati, they wouldn't accept the evidence. So I had the evidence sent to the Israeli Supreme Court. I was then asked to come over to Israel, which I did. And finally, the Israeli Supreme Court released him, and I brought him home to America which is unheard of. Here's a man on death row sentenced to be executed for mass murder, and I proved that he was innocent with documents from the Justice Department. The Justice Department knew this man was not Ivan right from the beginning. And many people say, well, why would they do that? And the bottom line was they were losing all their funding as one unit, the Office of Special Investigation, and uh, they were being criticized for not making any arrests. Well, here they had not only an arrest, they had the big arrest with worldwide news, the shocker, that they had Ivan of Treblinka. Well, the bottom line was they didn't. I proved that Ivan of Treblinka was a man named Ivan Marchenko. He was nine years older with dark hair, not light hair, with a long scar on his neck. And I proved it with documents that I got from a Freedom of Information Act on another Ukrainian-American who was tried for war crimes at Treblinka, a man named Fyodor Fedorenko. And through that Freedom of Information Act request is where I got all the information that came to me through the State Department. So keep in mind now, the government documents that freed this man were U.S. Justice Department documents. This is, this is a travesty. And our, our government still this day should be ashamed of that. Now, when I brought him home, the Sixth Circuit Court issued a press release and said, a tragic but honest mistake by the government. And not one of those 
Now, one of those criminals, believe me, the Justice Department was tried and was even prosecuted for suborning perjury to to putting a man's life in death. They were going to let this man be executed, Mel. So the bottom line was I had a bullseye on my back so big that they wanted me out of the way so bad. But I think what really started to happen is I don't think they wanted to indict me at, at that point. I think they were trying to build a case, and it came out of trial that they had a six-year investigation involving over 250 agents at a cost of $15 million to the American taxpayers on or about the time of 9-1-1. Now, keep in mind, at trial, they said they made no video or audio tapes of me for evidence. They had no physical evidence at all. It's the only case in American history. And they end up getting away with it. it. I don't even get into all the details, but the bottom, bottom line was, I honestly believe that they rushed to get me the hell out of there because I was starting to get information about what really happened about 911. And keep in mind, I was a congressman that got the documents on Pan Am 103, got the information on Demonic, and I was starting to get the facts on 911. And next thing you know, they sure as hell separated me. So I really want to get into it. I could have had a pardon. I could have been out of prison in, 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 in no time. All I had to do was admit I was guilty, and I told them to shove their pardon up their ass. That's what I told the president. So this is where I am, Mel. This is where it is. I'm proud of some of the things that I've done. Most people don't realize now, in dealing with the Internal Revenue Service, that I was the congressman that changed the burden of proof in a tax case. Up until 1998, the taxpayer was guilty, literally, had to prove themselves innocent in a tax civil tax court. Now keep in mind, Mel, that 96% of all tax court cases are civil law. And the taxpayer was literally guilty, and once accused, had to prove that they were not guilty of tax evasion or whatever. So the bottom line was I was able to get that accomplished in the 1998 reform bill, and it had a tremendous impact on this country. So I became a real, real thorn in the side of the government, no doubt. And they're still, they're still concerned about me, quite frankly. I've been making some speeches, and people have been calling me, and I do know what happened and how it works and what's going on down there, and they're still concerned about that. I think that they were hoping that I'd probably be killed in prison. They put me in positions where I very well could have been. I wasn't in any country clubs. I went to prison. I was in real prison. So having said that, that's the situation, Mel, and that's where we are. Now, you were in prison for seven years, and you did not accept one single visit. Was that something that came from you, or did he actually keep you, quote-unquote, in, in solitary confinement in that regard for other reasons? I was in for seven and a half years. I had no visits, and the first prison I was put in, it sounded uh, innocently uh, safe because it was considered a low correctional institution up at uh, Ellenwood. But the bottom line was that 50% of the population were illegal immigrants, and I'm the congressman that passed the amendments to the defense bill to take 10,000 soldiers from overseas who were having a lunch over there in Italy and going to theater in Japan and going to dinner in Korea, falling out of chairs without armrests, bringing them back to America, 
10,000, putting them on our borders yeah. to keep our borders secure and keep people from jumping the fence. So I had a I had a staff person there that told me that he said, look, I'll deny that I ever met with you. He said, but my mother was your biggest fan when you were in Congress. And he said, listen, they want to get you hurt. You're here because the 50% of these people are all illegal immigrants, and they all know you're here. He said, you better sleep with one eye open. And I had to do that. In fact, I ended up going to the hole there uh, so I didn't have to watch 1,200. I only had, or 2,000, I only had to watch uh, one or two. So I, I did about uh, six or seven months in the hole in uh, at Allenwood. Now, you're probably the only person that I know within the government who speaks about 9-11. This is probably one of the, the toughest topics for anybody in government to talk about. But you are brave enough to talk about it. I have to ask you right from the beginning. Do you believe in the 9-11 Commission report? <laughs> it's about as... Uh... It, it's about so similar to the to the Warren Commission and the yeah. JFK matter. It's almost almost a farce. I was told exactly what happened to JFK. By the way, I was told by the man who was responsible for his death. Can you literally? Can you talk about it? Yes, a man named Santos Traficante. He believed that he was a distant relative of mine. I don't know for sure. But he wanted me to go public in the fact that he was responsible. He and Carlos Morcella from New Orleans for authorizing the assassination of John Kennedy. I told him that I couldn't do that. I said as soon as I was elected, before I went to Congress, they had a big picture of me in the front page of the Sunday section, uh, the parade section down there in Washington. Uh, mafia congressman. They already had everybody ready for me, boy. They were they were on my back, and I said, you know, I really don't need that. I said, but I, I told him and instructed him that he should go forward. What a lot of people don't know is Santos Traficante, on his deathbed, gave a dying declaration that he was responsible for the assassination of John Kennedy. Oh, it appeared in the back pages, so remote and obscure, I doubt anybody listened to this broadcast ever seen it, heard it, or even uh, read it or heard about it. But what he said was that he was responsible, and the Justice Department, which normally doesn't make any comments, they basically gave a little two-sentence disclaimer that said that he's nothing but a dying mobster attempting to memorialize his name sure. with that of a great and famous American, period. There's no truth to it, period. And that was the end of it. The bottom line is Santos Traficante and Carlos Marcello had the contract from the Central Intelligence Agency to kill Castro. With the explosive exploding uh, cigar, is that? No, they just had the contract to kill Castro. The operation was set up in New Orleans. That's where Jim Garrison got the jurisdiction because of the fact that Lee Harvey Oswald was in New Orleans at the time. The the program was called Operation Mongoose. If you've yeah. seen the story by the movie by Oliver Stone, sure, I give Stone a lot of credit because he at least had the courage to say, "Look." This certainly was a cover-up, and there's only one entity in the world that's powerful enough to cover this up. It's the federal government, the U.S. government. Therefore, the U.S. government is culpable. And he basically stated that, you know, the military-industrial complex and with ties into all these different people. Well, the bottom line was the Central Intelligence Agency hired Santos Traficante and Carlos Marcello to kill Castro. 
as they were mobilizing, preparing for, in fact, that event. A man named Jimmy Hoffa went to the mobsters up in Detroit and said, look, you guys elected these, these guys, get Bobby Kennedy off my back. Bobby Kennedy was the most powerful attorney general in U.S. history. His brother was president. The people in Detroit went to Chicago to Giancana. Giancana evidently made contacts with the father, Joe Kennedy, but also asked Frank Sinatra to visit the White House, which he did. And the brothers just disrespected Sinatra and didn't even let him in the White House. It was really a, really a situation where Sinatra was felt felt really rebuffed because he did a lot of fundraisers around the country with Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin to help mm -hmm. elect Kennedy. Well, the bottom line occurred when Kennedy was supposed to stay out at Sinatra's house. He was making a speech out there. And Frank Sinatra spent a million dollars for an addition on a house for a one-night stay of Jack and Jackie Kennedy. And the last minute, the Kennedys not only rebuffed them at the White House, they canceled their visit and he stayed at Bing Crosby's house further infuriating Sinatra. Sinatra back to Giancana, Giancana and all those guys got together. And the bottom line is, what the hell are we going to kill Castro for? You know, the casinos down there were trashed. Uh, Cuba was destroyed. There was no money there. And they decided to kill Jack Kennedy. Nothing to do with John Kennedy. John Kennedy was killed to get rid of his brother, Bobby, mm -hmm. the Attorney General. They knew he would not stay. They, they could talk about all the conspiracy theories they want. The bottom line is our government had to cover it up because Santos Traficante told them. They knew who killed him. He told them, he says, if you come after me, he says, I'll announce to the world you hired me to kill Castro. And that would have had every, every nation in the world supporting Soviet missiles in Cuba protect the sovereignty of Castro. And that's the Kennedy thing. Now, everybody could talk about all they want and all the things they want, but that's what happened to John Kennedy. All of these theories, all these facts, it was simply to get rid of the Attorney General, Bobby Kennedy. It started with Jimmy Hoffa. Interesting. But now, on 911, here's the information I was starting to get. Okay. Now, keep in mind, at my trial, and now there are people around the country that are looking at the trafficking case, and they're scratching their head till this day. There, there's a professor out in California, Paymon Matajeda, and I'm sure you heard of Paymon. And if you read Paymon's, Paymon's quote about this thing, when he heard about it, he said that six-year investigation, 250-plus agents, $15 million, and the government said at trial, the government, they made no tapes on trafficking, they had no physical evidence, and in six years they didn't bug his phone. They didn't have a bug in a car which memorializes conversations. Now a former Secret Service man, understand now he's recently passed away. A man named Mike Robertson came out and said, this was not only a rarity, this was in fact a railroad job beyond repair. He said, in the Secret Service, he said, when they had no evidence on a target, they had to get some sort of admission on that individual before they could even indict. He said, the government had no physical evidence at all against trafficking, not one piece of evidence. He said, they had boxes and boxes of tapes on that guy. The bottom line was, he said, there has no crime. That guy committed no crimes. So the government had to come out at trial and say they made no tapes. Now, 
I give you that as a background because here's the types of calls I was getting about 911. I was getting calls that there were people in very high places that received an awful lot of money on arms transactions, illegal arms transactions. Now, every time I have handled a case and I investigated a case and I announced my findings on television or wherever, I had been able to corroborate those findings. I didn't have time to corroborate the information I'm getting, and I don't discuss it publicly. But there were several powerful people in the United States government that were involved through a broker out of England with this Al-Qaeda group and other terrorist groups. And all of these weapons they got, all of them, every bit of weapons that these terrorists have and have today came from the United States government through some form of machination by people in powerful places. And I was beginning to get information what they did with their money. How one person supposedly had a member of his family that had a million dollar loan that was forgiven. Another person who had tremendous amount of money that had oil interests in an African nation now. But the only thing I could come to, to learn about it was I was starting to get information that there were people involved that have never been discussed by the 911 commission or never even too hardly alluded to by the press. And that was an involvement of Israel in this process. Now, I've been labeled anti-Semite, and I'm sure that this will further, you know, have me castigated. And I've never really talked about that, Mel. I've never talked about it because I've never corroborated it. But I've always looked at who benefits from a particular act, a particular crime. And without a question, this accomplished the goals of Israel, without a doubt. And I believe their fingerprints are all over it. And I think that the 911 Commission covered it up, very, very similar to the fiasco of the USS Liberty yeah. years ago, that Israel has become so powerful so powerful, Israel basically has a stranglehold on the United States government, on our Congress, on our foreign policy, and our economics and domestic policy. You can't get elected in this country unless you're favorable to Israel. You have to be an outright, you know, paid piper. And I think what we've seen over there in England with the Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch case, where now they come out in the 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 English uh, newspapers over there, the London papers, basically saying if you were not, if you were not a favorite of Rupert Murdoch, you could not get elected in England. And that's about what's happened here now. We've got a situation on our hands where we've had three sets of spies that have been arrested in the last 20 years from Israel. APAC, American Israel Public Affairs Committee. Now, they want Pollard released, and they will get him released. I'd be surprised if it looks like uh, Obama can't, can't get through this. They really don't want Obama. But Obama's doing everything he can to mitigate the problem with, that Israel uh, really does not want him. They wanted Hillary Clinton in the worst way, and they got rid of everybody. They kept Kerry out of the race. They kept uh, Al Gore out of the race, and I thought for sure that Al Gore would not only be nominated, would have been elected. They kept him out of the race. Here's a man who won the Nobel Peace Prize. He was a lock 
They wanted Hillary Clinton. They've controlled the Clintons since they were there years ago in Arkansas. And they kept everybody out of the race. They got John Edwards quickly removed. Didn't take 12 years like the Schwarzenegger business. And there was just Hillary, and they believed that this black man could no way with a Muslim name beat their girl. Well, all that business with Clintons in China exploded, and there were a lot more people down on the streets that voted. And some of them voted two and three times in some cities, if the truth's ever known about that. And they not only lost Hillary, they had to accept Obama. They didn't want Obama. They don't want him now either. But if they don't think they can beat him, they will join them, and it'll be interesting to see what and how they handle this. But the bottom line, what I'm telling you, is that Israel's become so powerful, they can, in fact, avoid the scrutiny of investigation in this country. Now, all of these people who have been arrested, if you think about these Israeli spies, the first two, and their names right now escape me, but the first two were, they were arrested, they influenced America to go back into Iraq. The last two were influencing America to attack Iran. You know, enough is enough. And everybody's afraid to say it. If you say it, you're an anti-Semite. Well, who the hell is concerned about our country? Are we a member of Congress for the United States of America? And I said on the floor one time, I wasn't elected to represent uh, any other nation. I wasn't elected to the Knesset. Or the Diet, I was elected to Congress. And that's the only concern. So I think that the, the 911 Commission is absolute farce. A joke. Just like the Warren Commission was. But you see, I believe that these people on these commissions, they have to toe the line. That's why they're selected. And if they don't, they basically believe that they're helping America by towing the line. With the matter of Kennedy, there's no doubt that they were. We'd have been put at war. We'd have been at war. Back in those days, with the Bay of Pigs and the whole fiasco of Soviet missiles, if that came to pass, that our government had paid organized crime to kill Fidel Castro, the world would have been an alarm, and they would have all supported those Soviet missiles 90 miles off our shore. We couldn't afford that. Our government had to basically cover up, and they welcomed every conspiracy theory that existed in the world, and it wasn't a very fancy thing. The mob is very sharp. Now, as far as, as far as Lee Harvey Oswald is concerned, this is one of the, probably the biggest travesties in American history. Here's a man that goes down as villain number one all time in America. The truth of the matter was, Lee Harvey Oswald was CIA, Mel. Uh, one of the documents that I had when corroborating my information was, that Lee Harvey Oswald abandoned and renounced his American citizenship. He went to the Soviet Union. He became a Soviet citizen, married a Soviet woman. Marina. And then came back to America. You know how he got back to America, Mel? Hmm. His transportation flight was paid on a U.S. Treasury draft issued from the United States State Department. They can't hide that any longer. He was not a killer of Jack Kennedy. He was going to participate in the assassination of Fidel Castro. And this is how Jim Garrison got into this. And I'd, I'd just like to say this. A guy who has been ridiculed, has been denounced, has been belittled, uh, really insulted, demeaned, 
the only court of law to look at the Kennedy assassination was a county courthouse in New Orleans, Louisiana. Good God. And the reason why Garrison was able to get some jurisdiction is Lee Harvey Oswald operated in and around New Orleans. Now, remember, our government denied that all of these guys, Fury and the people that he was prosecuting, were CIA. Now it came out that our government lied and ringed the trial. They were CIA agents. They were all involved with the CIA. And Garrison could have blown it open. There's no question. But when they raided finally and they investigated and looked at Operation Mongoose in New Orleans, here's Lee Harvey Oswald who was on radio talk shows and television talk shows as a proponent of Castro, saying our policies were wrong, Castro's a good guy. Hell, people, he actually would physically beat him up. He, is off, he had an office in Operation Mongoose, the agents, the entity that was in fact put in place to kill Castro. Really, it was an amazing sting. That's why he said I'm a patsy. The FBI met with him for 12 hours. There's not a tape. There's not a note. There's not a 302. That's an FBI reporting form on that 12 hours. All you know about Lee Harvey Oswald is what he said on national television that, quote, unquote, I'm a patsy. And he was. He was a shoot over to president with a gun that he got in mail order in his own name. His picture was appearing in every newspaper, Mel, and that man was going to get political asylum in Cuba. That was the program of Operation Mongoose. And when he came down out of that school book repository and they said the president's been killed, he realized what happened. They, they used him. They framed him. The mob literally used him. The mob's not dumb. See, and everybody says, oh, the mob couldn't do that, Travigan. And some of these people are saying, well, Santos Traficante, he was just a small timer. Let me tell you something. The big mobsters are the ones you never hear about. He controlled all the heroin, all of the refining labs in Sicily. Most of the heroin had come into this country. All of that money. And another thing a lot of people don't know, and he told me personally, he used to basically control Cuba. And before Las Vegas, Cuba was where everybody went, literally was the vacation resort in the world. And he many times arranged for private rooms for Jack Kennedy. And he arranged for visits with women. And he didn't even like, like the Kennedys. He said he thought they were pigs. Quite frankly, that's his exact words. He said they had no morals. Well, here's a man who was a mobster, but the bottom line was that's what happened to, to Jack Kennedy. But now we're looking at 911. I'm starting to get close. I'm starting to get information. By the nature of what I'm starting to do, I think people were starting to get concerned about, worried about what I was going to do because I was able to bring out the facts on Nicaragua. I went down to Nicaragua. I spent almost a week in Nicaragua. I went further north up in the up into Contra territory, and anybody had ever gone and met with small villages there and knew exactly what was going on. But the thing that troubled them also, and I, I think had much to do with with my situation personal, was the Pan Am situation, Mel. You tell me about Pan Am, 1988, Flight 103. Mel, I'm the congressman that got the confidential intelligence report that was given to me under my door in Washington, my eyes only. And when I got it and started to read it, you could tell it was a 
an intelligence report. You couldn't believe all of it because nobody is going to perhaps give you everything that so that the report can reflect back to them. Mm-hmm. But basically, here's what it said. That Pan Am 103 was, in fact, a retaliatory response of state-sponsored terrorism. It said Iran hired two international terrorists to put together a team to respond in kind for America having shot down that Iranian Airbus with 360 innocent civilians on it, Iranian civilians. Do you remember that? Yep, I do. And he said they hired Manzer al-Qasar of Lebanon and Ahmed Jibril of Syria, and that they put together a team. Now, Qasar was a very interesting element of this, because Qasar was a CIA operative working out of Beirut, the Beirut-Lebanon office. And he was right at that point on assignment working with the Iranian government to get eight of our hostages released. At the time, we had eight hostages over there, if you recall. Yep. Now, he had been successful in getting three French hostages released from Iran, and the CIA considered him an invaluable asset. Well, what happened was they're not finding too much success, and the CIA, unbeknownst to Beirut, Lebanon, sends a team of five CIA agents over, headed by Army Major McKee on loan from the Army to head this up, to basically inform the CIA and say, what's going on? Why is there no progress with this, with the eight hostages? McKee and the five agents discover the fact that Kassar is the biggest heroin dealer in the world. He controlled all the heroin out of the Golden Triangle. And CIA Lebanon knew of it, but was setting it aside because of his value to get these eight hostages released. Now, keep in mind that all five of those CIA agents and RB Major McKee died on Flight 103. They were going back to the States with their report. They all died. The CIA later come out and said, Travkin's even accusing us of killing our own agents. He's nonsense. He's an un-American congressman. I said, I never accuse you of killing your own agents. The reason why all of our operatives flew 103 out of that part of the world was it was the safest flight in the world. It was a heroin flight. Can you believe this now? If the American people knew that our government was covering up, keep this in mind, because people listening to this won't be able to believe this. You can get a heroin on every street corner of the United States. Every street corner of the United States, you find heroin, and not one ounce of heroin is domestically produced, nor cocaine. Now, American people can't be this damn dumb. That's coming across those borders, and they're not, it's kind of not coming across in, in, in five or six-pound uh, quantities. Well, well, Congressman, let me ask you, is this what got uh, Pat Tillman killed when he found out in Afghanistan that the reality of him being there was to protect the puppy, the boppy fields? I don't know. I didn't get into the Tillman case, and uh, I, I don't want to comment on something I don't know about. Okay. All I can tell you is the things where the people contacted me. But back real quick here to 103. Sure. I checked out several things in this report. The first one was that Kassar was involved with the CIA. 
and through my sources was able to identify that as a fact. The second one was that the report says that at some point, Kassar noticed Ahmed Jabril operatives around Frankfurt. They were having a rough time finding a target. And Kassar didn't want to fall out with Jabril, so he was trying to devise some way of getting the Jabril operatives out of Frankfurt because they knew about his heroin run, and they knew they can get a bomb on that plane. So Kassar, rather than endanger in his situation with this guy Jabril, it said that he had made an anonymous call to Frankfurt International Airport warning them of a terrorist attack. Now that has to be logged, and it was. The bottom line was there was no increase of security at Frankfurt International Airport. That plane was supposed to blow up over the ocean mail. The wind drift took it over Lockerbie, Scotland, and our government went down on it and swooped on it and let nobody get anything out of there, touch mm. it. The bottom line was Pan Am 103. You know this guy that was recently let out of prison, this Libyan? Oh, yes, the one who passed away. And the other Libyan was acquitted at trial by God. Yes. They might have been mules as a part of that team. But the two guys that were hired were this Manzar Al-Kassar and Ahmed Jibril. And I believe the Jibril family right now is becoming key to taking over Syria. Aha. Uh -huh. they're, they're... Now, here's the thing. They come and took all of my things. My, my offices were broken into. It was not an official government action. Things were stolen and taken. But all my files were taken and everything. And the reason why I am concerned about this Pan Am 103 report is I believe it's Jabril, not Abu Nadel. But it was, it was either Kassar and Jabril or Kassar and Abu Nadel, and I believe it was Jabril, because my notes are all gone. All my information is gone. But you think that Gaddafi had something to do with this, or not? Not at all. Okay. Gaddafi, hell, those two Libyans uh, would have choked on a chicken bone in his jail. <laughs> if he had anything to do with it. Gaddafi had nothing to do with 103. That was Libya. That was uh, Iran. And I, the government right now would love to be able to attack Iran. They wish they could use it. Yeah. But what happened was, and you could understand Iran. Iran was vehement about the fact that our government very, very passively shot down an Iranian Airbus. Basically, we thought it was a spy plane. With 300 plus innocent Iranian civilians. That was a t terrible act. And they hired these guys to respond in kind. And that's what Pan Am 103 is about. They can give all the malarkey they want. They end up giving all of these money to the victims' families to buy them off. Nobody, they made it look like, you know, we're, we're dragging the innocent victims up out of the dead with conspiracy theories. The government is very strong, but that's what happened to 103 Mel. That's exactly what happened. But. Why do you think we got rid of Gaddafi when, in fact, I have information that shows that he was nothing of what we're portraying him as here in the United States? Now, you know, first of all, and I don't want to get too philosophical here, but I, I think we should take just a page real quick from our very first president, George Washington, where he warned Congress, beware of foreign entanglements. Yeah. Stay out of them. We've gotten to the point where, listen, we're too entrenched with activities around the world, and we've gone, in fact, too one-sided on many of these policies. 
Now, I sat on the House floor after the aftermath of 9-1-1, and Congress was livid. There were people that wanted to shoot me in Congress. I said, Congress has to look in the mirror. We've imported the violence of the Mideast to America because of our one-sided, subjective, not objective policies favoring Israel at all times. And we have made millions of enemies over there that hate us. And they're just like the Native American Indians. They didn't have cannons, didn't have guns, but they became terrorists. And I said, it's not over. And it isn't over. You will see more terrorist activities in this country. But I think when we look at Gaddafi, he was opposed by Israel. When you look at Saddam Hussein, Israel wanted... Israel wanted Iraq destabilized. Actually, Saddam Hussein stabilized that part of the world. I mean, this is an amazing thing. I'm not a Saddam Hussein supporter, but all the weapons he got, weapons of mass destruction, what a joke. I mean, the Capitol Police could have overrun Iraq. And basically, they were surrendering to to our TV crews over there. But we could conquer them. But how long do we have to stay to try and keep a lid on. Because it's tribal. The tribal differences. That's right. Saddam Hussein was an American advocate. Yes. We gave him all his weapons. We supported him with his with his actions against Iran. And the Soviet Union was putting money into Iran. I mean, this was the Cold War. It was, it was a Cold War. But to Iraq and Iran, it was a hot war. But what are we doing with these policies? And they say it's oil. Hell, we got more oil trapped in shale rock in the United States than they have in the whole Mideast. This is a damn joke. And I think we've been used, we've been manipulated to basically carry out the policies over there and the, the interests and the program of Israel. And it's now coming back to haunt us. And you got to be careful. Because I've had, I've had anonymous phone calls say, be careful, trafficking. You could be charged with a hate crime. I guess you can't even talk about Israel anymore. I mean that. It's getting to that point. And they say, well, you're, you're such an anti-Semite. I'm not an anti-Semite. I am just telling the truth. Don't you hate that? You make a comment like that. And I, I have friends from Israel. and I, tell I do them, too. I have Jewish friends and it bothers me. Yes, and it's about the Zionist propaganda that, that it's almost like a virus in the United States. Come on, our media, our banking system. Hollywood, Wall Street, and the Federal Reserve System, Washington, the Judicial Branch, and the Pentagon. Where is it all leading to? Let's be honest. Well, just take a look at what you're talking about. Look at the media. Who owns the media? Take a look at the, the, the money in the financial institutions and the finances of not only this nation, but many of the key nations, the big eight. I mean, uh, other than the, the Asian nations, and there's there's already progress being made in the air now and, and and inroads. But I mean, we're we're completely now dominated and controlled by a very small element of our society, less than two percent. Now, what do we have? How many Supreme Court members are there? I'll tell you one interesting thing. I got Mel in Congress. No one helped elect Bill Clinton more than me. In fact, every time you saw on TV, he was at a rally with something like 25,000 people. It was awesome. It was in Youngstown, Ohio. And I put it together, and it was in a parking lot of a mall. It was the biggest event he had. He came in on a bus with Hillary, 
and Al Gore was there with Tipper, and Senator Bill Bradley was with him. I'll never forget Bradley on the stage saying to me, he said, Jim, this is the biggest political event I've ever attended, ever, ever seen. And normally, you know, the, the congressmen and the local uh, officials were basically doubting the audience. They asked me to introduce the president. I was very popular and very strong here. The government couldn't stand it. Well, I did, and I helped him win. After he was in office, I, I got a, another packet for my eyes only. And Mel, when I opened it up, it was nothing but a cassette, a tape cassette. And I never got anything like that. So there, there, one evening there, I had a little bit of time waiting on a vote. And I put it into the player and I listened to it. And what it was, it was a radio talk show just like we're doing now. It was New York City. It was a Jewish host interviewing a board member of American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, one of their board members. And I wondered why they sent it to me. And I started listening to it and started out with, I guess you're real happy that, you know, that Clinton's won. And, oh, yeah, I said, we're tickled pink that we've been with him since he was, you know, down in Arkansas all the way, he and Hillary. And, uh, and the other thing that I recall them saying was, was that we couldn't understand the Al Gore move for vice president. You know, we thought maybe you'd have picked somebody from the Midwest or the East or the West to, to balance the ticket. And I'll never forget this. He says, no, he says, we have so much support in the press in those areas that we wanted to attack that Bible belt. And Al Gore and his father had been friends of ours for a long time. We wanted to carry that Bible belt. And keep in mind, Mel, they did. Now, in addition, then the guy said to him, well, I guess your concern now would be that Secretary of State position. And this is exactly what he said. He said, that would be nice. But he said, we have so many people in the State Department. It's really, really not our major emphasis. He says, what we want, what APAC wants, is that Supreme Court judge position that's coming open. Mm. Clinton's first appointment was Ginsburg. Yep. Clinton's second appointment was another Jewish judge. Did you know that? No, I did not. He was disqualified because he had illegal aliens working at his house as domestics. Oh, I remember. What was his last name? Uh... I don't even remember the name. But if it was me, I'd have been indicted for that. He was just waved over as a Supreme Court candidate. But now you have three of the nine. Three of the nine judges are American Jews. Now, 2% of the population, but 33% of the Supreme Court. You cannot get a decision on a Supreme Court in opposition to Israel. Of the remaining six, there will always be two that will be with Israel, believe me. And it's not done yet. And I, I, they're saying, you, you are such an anti-semi-travagant, and I'm getting all these things. And like you said, my, my wife and I, we have friends that are Jewish citizens, and they have, they have you know, they, they feel uncomfortable in my presence anymore. But it has not to do with the American Jews. And there was a group that came out of Washington, Jewish Americans, that questioned AIPAC and said AIPAC is going to end up harming Israel. And I believe... The American-Israel Public Affairs Committee is going to end up destroying Israel because the American people are someday going to find out the truth, what the hell is going on, why we're in these wars, why we're bankrupted by these wars, why our kids are being shipped back to us in body bags. For what? 
Yeah, for what? For what? Now, really, I want to ask you, for what? You know, we were lied to about the Gulf of Tonkin to get us into that war. We're lied to about the weapons of mass destruction. And now the press is really building a case. What are they going to do about Iran? What are they going to do about Iran? And I'll never forget, I, I laughed when I saw one of the debates of the Republican group where Gingrich says, I'm going to outdo everybody. I'm going to move the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And then Romney said, I'm not only going to increase foreign aid, I'm going to ensure and guarantee more military aid. And Santorum said, I'm going to attack Iran. I mean, they're falling over there. They're falling over one another, trying to outdo each other to get the support of Israel. And let me tell you something. Obama now, what, Shimon Perez gave him the highest award and civilian award in history, the American Medal of Freedom. And now Perez has come with a petition with over 20,000 signatures in Israel asking for the release of Jonathan Pollard. Listen, Jonathan Pollard was a traitor. Under American law, traitors should be executed. But you have now Jewish leaders in this country, members of the Senate, members of Congress, are saying, well, yes, it's true, he spied, but he spied for Israel, which is our dear friend. Enough is enough now. Well, isn't that proof that Israel is almost a state, or <laughs> I hate to say United States of Israel, but isn't Israel almost the 51st state? Listen, one of the things that's really amazing, Mel, when I went over to Israel, on the Demonyuk case, after I submitted the evidence. When I got off the plane, I was like a rock cigar. Everybody over there knew who I was. They were prepared for me coming over. There were groups chanting, you know, Nazi lover, oh boy. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, anyway, the bottom line was, while I was there, and I submitted all the evidence to the Supreme Court, I got a call from the Today Show, NBC National Television. Brian Gumble was the host then. And he interviewed me and I, by satellite out of Jerusalem. And I said to him, I said, Ryan, and the strength of the evidence I've submitted to the Israeli Supreme Court, if they put this man to death, I said, Israel is going to lose $25 billion a year from the American taxpayers. And he said, what do you mean? He said, they get $3 billion, Congressman. I said, only $3 billion? That's $5,000 for every man, woman, and child in Israel every year. But I said, Brian, that's only one of the 13 bills. I said, no one's factoring in loans, loans converted to grants, grants, economic assistance, military assistance, trade compacts. I said, I'm telling you that Israel gets upwards of $20 billion every year from the American taxpayers. Oh, thank you, Congressman. Thank you, Congressman. Listen, I got a call that night from the Israeli Supreme Court in my room in Jerusalem and said, John Demenyuk would be delivered to me the following evening at Tel Aviv International Airport. Take him home. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but this is the amount of power that you, the, the muscle that you, uh, you use there. That, that's the lever that I use, so help yeah. me God. And let me tell you what happened. It must have been several months after that, or maybe six months after that, there was a little one, two-sentence, one-paragraph article hidden away in a Wall Street Journal. It said Israel gets $13.5 billion total. Now, no one read this. And you can go on search, and I don't know when it would be, 
But after I brought them home, I don't even have any of these documents. And check the Wall Street Journal, and you'll find one column wide, listen, about two-inch paragraph that said, Israel gets $13.5 billion from all these different sources. Well, let's just say it's $13.5 billion. That's $20,000 for every man, woman, and child in Israel from the American taxpayers, Mal. Now, now listen, all of these weapons that they have, how many of them have been given to Israel that no one even knows about? When we talk about nuclear buildup in the Mideast, Israel has everything we have. You know, it's hard to put your foot in another person's shoe, you know, walk in their shoes. But just think, if you were a neighbor of Israel, and they've got a cannon, and you've got a slingshot, would you be uncomfortable? But let me ask you a question, Congressman, and this is something that people don't dare talk about. But let's say you and I move to a neighborhood, and you know that your neighbor has weapons, but they did not disclose it. And you decide that maybe, maybe you'll, you'll have a weapon, maybe yes, maybe not. And that person who's not disclosing rallies the entire neighborhood against you. And you know where I'm coming from with this. Absolutely. Israel is known to, what, 300 uh, missiles, nuclear weapons, and is, uh, Iran hasn't invaded anybody? Why is it that if Israel can have them, why can't Iran and everybody else? Look, well, I, I'm not a proponent of nuclear weapons, but why can't they have them? Neither am I, but you know, you make up a good point. And let me just tell you something. Looking at the, this thing from the outside looking in, would a nuclear capability in Iran be world-threatening? Question mark. You know what I think? I think it would be a stabilizer. Everybody would be very careful with each other over there. So I'm not totally frightened about them developing a nuclear capability because more than likely, under the circumstances, they are. They will develop something to try and protect themselves. But let's just face it. When you talk about how many nuclear weapons Israel has, what do we have, 10,000 nuclear warheads in our country? I mean, look, here's the bottom line, and I know this for a fact. Israel was pushing George Bush to go at Iran. They wanted Bush to invade Iran so that when Hillary was elected, she wouldn't carry the baggage of going into Iran, and she could say, I had no choice. Bush did it. I'm just protecting our troops. Yeah. Let's get it over with. They were using it. They were pushing us into war. But here's the thing. Our kids are dying. Our taxpayers, we're broke over this. America cannot recover, Mel. America will implode. It's just a matter of time. Is this why we didn't go after Iran? Because our economy imploded in uh, 2008? I believe it was too hard to justify the American people. I think there'd be such an uproar, we'd be yeah. visiting the Vietnam days right? with school campuses. I mean, it, it was just too much to sell. But Bush, listen, I, I, I got to give him credit for one thing. He realized how he was used, and he wouldn't be used again. So at least he's finally said no. But you had people in the Bush administration encouraging him as well to go into Iran. What is our reason for going into Iran? What threat does Iran pose against us? All we're doing is inflaming, inflaming a nation where you may have individuals within the nation that the government has nothing to do with that will maybe blow up the Lincoln Tunnel next. You see what I'm talking about? We have, in fact, created an environment of war against us, which there's been no reason to. First of all, Israel is secure. 
Okay, we're not going to allow anybody to take advantage of Israel. But our attitude should be we're not going to let anybody take advantage of any of those nations over there. And we've got to be fair and equitable to all. Now, Israel is a friend. That's fine. But Israel has now shown on three separate occasions how they have, in fact, spied on us, used us, manipulated us. And the politicians in Washington should be concerned about America. We don't have to hurt Israel, but I'll be damned if we're going to let Israel control us. And they do right now. And I believe that they had much to gain from what happened in 911. It gave us the opportunity to go back in and dethrone and get rid of Iraq and destabilize that country. And I think they were looking for some opportunity to try and take it into Iran. That hasn't happened yet. But this election is not over. And I'm telling you something. You just read the papers and see who's going to do more for Israel. Well, look Ooh. what happened yesterday. Look at what happened yesterday in, in, in Bulgaria. And now they're saying it's a, it was an American who actually was the suicide bomber. I'm you not know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm not totally familiar with the situation over there. It, uh, in Bulgaria, a, uh, an Israeli tour bus was bombed yesterday. Yeah, I heard about it with the seven with the seven uh, casualties. Exactly, and they showed video of the individual. It looked like a white person with long hair, uh, like a regular young guy, and uh, he was supposedly the suicide bomber with a uh, Michigan fake ID. Where was he now, from? Uh, well, they're, they're still saying it's fake information everywhere, but he had a, a, a fake passport, a fake ID. From Michigan. From Michigan. See, here, here's what happens, and it's another thing, because... Whenever you see an incident like this, it's headline news, seven people. There are literally hundreds of Palestinians that are being killed, and, and, and no one really even cares about it. You know, most of the world has claimed this situation in Palestine to be one of genocide. And we're one of the few nations that continues to deny it. It's bad what's happening over there, and it's going to backfire on us. So I wouldn't be surprised. An incident like this throwing us into some form of retaliatory response. I Listen, Israel's not dumb, buddy, and they know exactly how to handle it. And they have manipulated us very, very, uh, very carefully here for some time now. Let me tell you this. If the Congress, if you have a member of Congress who is not supported by Israel and is targeted by Israel, they will beat him. If they can't beat him, they'll put him in prison like me. Now, in the early 90s, there was a woman that was one of the ranking uh, employees of American Israel Public Affairs Committee that they fired for whatever reason. And when they did, she more or less became a whistleblower, and she she gave the following hit list of, of the how how Israel works. The two top targets were George Bush and James Baker. President and Secretary of State. The reason for it was is Congress gave a $12 billion housing guarantee loans to Israel. And we at least we were against it, but some of us put an amendment on it and said, well, they can't use that money in the West Bank or Gaza Strip or you can only use it in Israel. And I was against it, first of all. We got people sleeping on steel grates in our own country. But anyway, the bottom line, they had the power to do it. And it's one of the litmus tests. It's not only a litmus test that It benefits Israel real strongly, and they find out who's on their side. Well, the bottom line was, as soon as they got the money, they send the backhoes into the West Bank, Mel. Hmm. 
So James Baker, the Secretary of State, he had to say, look, there's a law prohibiting that. Do you know that the Congress, the House had a committee through the Appropriations Committee that called Baker in and demanded to know why Baker took that action. And Baker said, I took that action because you passed that law. And they said, even though we had passed that law, you had no right to go tell our friends where and how they could use that money. Incredible. You believe that? So listen, no. they were symbolically Bush and Baker. And you know who the next person on that list was? You? Jim Trafficking of Ohio. The top political, because they really went after Bush and Baker for the one thing. Is this Jim, why Bush only had one term? I believe so. And I believe that Ross Perot, I want you to hear this, he's still alive. And maybe he had nothing to do with don't even know what happened. But keep this in mind, when Ross Perot ran for president, the reason he gave for running for president was that we had to get rid of George Bush. Now think very carefully. Ross Perot was a Republican. Bill Clinton won two elections with Ross Perot, and Bill Clinton never got 50% of the popular vote. So he was used to dilute the votes. Ross Perot ran, as he was a Republican, ran as independent, said, we got to get rid of George Bush. Yeah. But they elected Bill Clinton, didn't they? And I, at, at some point when I realized what was happening, and I heard that tape, and then I looked at his appointments to his cabinet. Look at Clinton's appointments. Look at his cabinet. Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of Treasury, National Security Advisor, Economic Security Advisor, Secretary of Agriculture, or only trade surplus, Supreme Court, NASA. Take a look at the cabinet. You had a token black in Alexis Herman. You had uh, you, you had uh, Donna Shalala, the, the token Arab. You had 90% of his cabinet was Jewish members. I mean, they completely controlled the presidency. Federal Reserve, I have to ask you this question. What's your take on the Federal Reserve System? Isn't this what really rules the United States? Well, you know, I'm following this process of auditing it now. And if you will look carefully, in fact, the, my speech was made in March of 1993 in the Congress on a budget bill is now being printed in books all over the world, and it talks about the Federal Reserve. And keep in mind, if you don't have that speech, you got to get a hold of my book, America's Last Minute Man. It's out, but you can't get it in any bookstore. <laughs> keep in mind that the, the Jews really control that process, too. Why? Why can't people get it in a bookstore? They, no, no bookstore will take it. Now I heard that Barnes & Noble is going to put it online, but they won't put it in their stores. So anyway, the book is America's Last Minute Man, Mel, and it's a compilation of my speeches in Congress that are put into about 25 chapters. But the speech that I made in March of 1993 is printed in there in its entirety. And I want you to just remember this, because you'll get a hold of it, and you'll read it, and you'll be amazed. It's before all of this stuff on Federal Reserve happened. I opened the book. I opened the can of worms on Federal Reserve as well. But... No one has ever challenged me on it. No government person has ever made a statement about it. Nobody. And basically what it says is we basically don't even own our property. We have a custodial title to our property. All of our property is pledged to the international bankers through the Federal Reserve as collateral on our massive national debt. Period. Read it. 
and you, you'll get the impression. Now, I'm following this thing up about on the audit. It reminds me of the Warren Commission and the 911 Commission. Yeah. When they're done with the audit, they'll have everybody believe and everything is fine. <laughs> so why audit it? Why not abolish it? Abolish it. What the hell do we need them for? That's right. And they're saying, well, my God, you can't trust the politicians. Wait a minute. You elect representatives. They can hire people to come before them and advise them what to do. You could set up a monetary system and move these people the hell out and get them, get them out of here. They control this. Look at some of the arrangements they're making with some of these countries. Look at some of the things they're doing. Now they're trying to give a little transparency. And they're trying to overcome what little attacks there are. And some people are now starting to question them. But the bottom line is most people talk about the relevance of the Federal Reserve Board and how they're needed. They're an independent entity, and they work well, and they do. Listen, take a look at who their key people are in the Federal Reserve, where their interests really lie. That's right. And then you, you start to begin to see the whole shell. If you can control the finances of a nation and the press of a nation, you control the politics of a nation. America is a controlled state. Our media has become nothing but an instrument of propaganda. There's more propaganda in the United States than anywhere else in the country. And it's subliminal. Most people don't know they're being hit, Mel. Most people don't know they're getting, <laughs> they're getting propagandized, if you will. It, it's really, it really is out of control, but you can't mention it. I was on the Greta Von Susteren show when I came out of prison. And she said, I remember. She says, Jim, she says, from what you see, you know, what, what's wrong with the country? And I said, America is controlled and Israel has a stranglehold on our country. She almost fell off the chair. She said, Jim, are you an anti-Semite? I said, no, I'm not. But we haven't. You were in Murdoch land. Yeah. So they, listen, they had about three or four shows would be on national TV in the first 20 days. And they were all trying to overcome that statement, trying to make <laughs> it look like I really didn't mean that. Yeah. And the bottom line, I said, listen, I have nothing against the Jewish Americans and Personally, nothing against Israel. I said, but Israel's gone too far. And Israel is endangering the United States of America. And if you are a patriotic American and you see something wrong with America, you should say it. And I was a congressman, and I said it. I said, now, you can call me names. You can tell me anything you want. I said, but that's the bottom line. And that's the way I feel about it, Mel. And it's, it's a shame because I think that if you will, if you're a talk show host, you, you know, I don't know your situation there. You have Jim Trafficking on as a guest. You better be careful. You may not have a show. Or if you say anything about Israel, you won't have a show. Now, look, let's look at two of the, the, the they say, the top radio talk show people. You have Rush Limbaugh, conservative, and Larry King, the, uh, the liberal. Do you ever hear any of these conservatives ever mention Israel? Absolutely not. O'Reilly, Hannity, any of them? No, they, you go to CNN. Come on. Listen, they wouldn't have their damn job. I could never forget, I was, I was driving back from Cleveland, and I come across the Glenn Beck show. And he was talking about Ron Paul, and he said, I love Ron Paul. Jeez, when I heard Ron Paul, I couldn't believe him. He was too good to be true. And then he says, I heard about his policy towards Israel, and I just could never support that guy. I love everything about him, but I could never support anybody that wasn't an avid supporter of Israel. It made me think, okay? And I just listened very carefully. Evidently, the major criteria for selecting U.S. president to Glenn Beck would be how they treated Israel, yeah. not what the policies are for America. And he said he thinks his policies are the best. Yeah, they do this, they do that. 
money. He could never support anybody. So I don't want to get you in any hot fire. No, no, no. They call him an isolationist because he wants to bring all the troops home yeah. and protect our borders. What's wrong with that? Well, keep this in mind. That was my legislation. I passed it on the House floor in a recorded vote with a vicious debate against all party leaders, Democrat and Republicans, but won the debate, and they killed it in the Senate. John McCain and those guys killed it to get those Hispanic votes. And while they're after trying to get Hispanic votes out there, Mel, you have this nation crumbling apart. People running across the border with backpacks full of heroin. That's no joke. We're not taking care of our country. The first element of a national security is protect your borders. How the hell can we protect ourselves from terrorism? We got an office of homeland security. This really reminds me of the gas wars in the 70s. Because of our dependence on foreign oil, we have a Department of Energy. Now, after hundreds of billions of dollars in the Department of Energy, we're more dependent on foreign oil today than we were in the 70s. Now we <laughs> exactly. have an office of homeland security. Hold on, hold on. Since you're going there, I have to ask you this. Hitler had the Reichstag fire. We had 9-11. They had the Enabling Act. We have Patriot Act. They had fatherland security. We have homeland security. They have socialized medicine. Now we do, too. Do you see the script continuing here? Well, I, I see the script moving us completely, not just towards the socialism. We're already the, the greatest socialist state in the world. We redistribute more wealth than anybody ever did. But now we're beginning to move towards, I believe, is that communist movement, where government begins to control and its production. And what we've done, and it sounds crazy, but, you know, Donald Trump made a lot of sense, and he's one of the few that did. When our government bailed out the banks... Donald Trump says, look, we have bankruptcy laws. If I ran into this problem as a businessman, I would have had to go bankrupt. He said he should have let those bad banks go bankrupt. The good banks would have come in and taken over the assets. And he said if Congress wanted to, they could take care of the innocent victims, some of those borrowers. But he said to bail out those banks was foolish move. Now, they're all coming back to say, well, if that happened, Donald, you know, yeah, we'd be broke now. We'd be right. Listen, Depression. Donald was right. He was 100% correct. And this is the problem that what we have right now. And yes, I see us moving towards, like even with the auto industry, they're using this against Romney. But take a look at the auto industry. Ford didn't get a dime. Ford survived, didn't they? That's right. See what I'm saying? But once you provide that dependency, and they really didn't attack some of the issues there. And let's take a look at health care. This, to me, is the biggest joke of all. You have 160 new government programs and boards and entities, billions and billions. It's a jobs bill. It's a federal government jobs bill, that tax bill. But if, if you look at it, what doesn't it do? It doesn't talk about malpractice. It doesn't have anything to do with those trial attorneys. It doesn't have anything to do with those accountants. And that's where all the money's going. Listen, when I was in Congress, I met with a bunch of young doctors that filed Chapter 11. They had big bills from college. They couldn't make their ends meet. Their, their malpractice insurance was so costly. It forced them, and it forced many good, intelligent young people, Mel, to stay out of medicine and go into other fields. And we didn't touch it in that bill because it was politically too hot. The trial attorneys didn't want them to touch it. So what do you have? You, you still have this situation with the tremendous cost factor. We, we haven't mitigated that. We've created all these new government jobs. And we're not going to pay for it for another two, three years. But where the taxes are coming now, 
And they say, well, it's not a lot of taxes. First of all, it wasn't supposed to be a tax. Everybody knows it's a tax. A fee is a tax. A toll is a tax. Those are all taxes. No matter what they call them, whatever the names. Penalty is a tax. And, you know, I don't really get into that. But if you're a young person just out of college, is the first thing you're going to do buy health insurance? I don't think so. You'll roll the dice and wait for a job that has health insurance. But now you're going to have people that are going to be paying the penalty because the penalty is cheaper than, in fact, the insurance. Then you're going to have those people fall on hard times without insurance. Now, that's going to be interesting to see if they'll be taken care of by the government because there's a lot of people that are on free rides with this government, Mel. I mean, there's some people getting more than a quarter million dollars a year in government funds. Really? That's incredible. And if you bring it up, you'll be called a racist. You'll be called, you'll, you'll be called an anti-Semite. You'll be called a bigot. But I pointed out in Congress in one case where a woman in New York had 12 children, 12 different fathers. Hmm. She was getting $1,500 a month per child. That's 18000 a month, Mel. <laughs> now listen, that don't, doesn't count for the housing, the food stamps, the health insurance. You're talking about $350,000 a year for that family. And you know what I was told? You mm. try and raise a kid in New York trafficking for 1500 Listen, Mel, I'm not kidding you. But how can we stop the, the, the use and abuse of this dependency? Because somebody, a friend of mine told me the other day, I went to a national park and they had a big sign that said, do not feed the animals. Why? Because they become dependent on the people feeding them and they don't know how to feed themselves. But we have such a crisis right now. And I understand when people are in need, help them, but also monitor their condition. Well, Let's not have them abuse us. Let me just say this. and I'd be glad to come back on with you because I, I can't stay too much longer. But let me just say one thing. One of my last bills was a, it was known as the Tozan Trafficking Bill. Tozan is a brilliant Republican from Louisiana. He's no longer in Congress. And our bill was to abolish the Internal Revenue Service and eliminate all income taxes and repeal the 16th Amendment and have a flat sales tax. No more inheritance tax, no more withholding, no more tax on savings, no more tax on investment, no more capital gains tax, no more corporation tax, no more tax on Social Security, no more tax on Medicare. Everybody would pay. And yeah. let me tell you, Harvard did a study and said that prices wouldn't even escalate. Because Harvard showed that 25% of the cost of the production of making an American automobile is complying with the tax code. When you throw the tax code out, you take a 25% burden off. Those companies will not be looking for tax loopholes. They'll be looking for market share. And their prices will drop down. And Harvard predicted, the one economist there, there will probably be no increase in prices that we know now with that sales tax. But keep in mind that anybody from Japan or Europe that comes over to visit Broadway or Las Vegas, they'd pay into our Social Security account. They'd pay into our Medicare. All those illegal immigrants coming across the border would pay into our government programs. Everybody's got to pay. And they say, well, we got to tax the rich more. First of all, let me tell you something. They keep talking about taxing the rich, and rich are going to take their money out of the country next, Mel. I could see that coming. Already doing it. Yeah, the bottom line is with a consumption sales tax, rich people have more money, they spend more money, they would in fact pay more taxes. Right. There's no more forms, no more nothing. I think that America is not free. We need a, a an independent financing venue 
that would make us free and could take care of America and take us into the next, into our future. And I'd like to talk to you about that more because a lot of people have said, oh, well, you're going to kill the poor traffic, you're going to keep the poor. The only thing I'll say to you is this. They can keep their pay stubs if they choose, go to a government office and show that they're under the poverty level, and the government will give them a job, Mel. Not a check, a job. They'll have to go to work for whatever they get. Meanwhile, try and get a hold of the America's Last Minute Man. Check with Barnes & Noble and read that speech that's in there on the bankruptcy of the United States, and you will see where everybody started questioning and where it all started, the genesis of this uh, Federal Reserve dilemma. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.